Wajin Wai Akarja. That's uh, I, I did feel a little bit challenged when I when I came and saw your um the Irish, the Gaelic underneath your name on the on the door door frame. Um and uh, hopefully if I see you again I'll be a bit a little bit more fluent. I think that was all I have to dust off for the moment. Um I think about four years ago, um, upon coming back to Ireland, I'd been living in Britain, um, and coming back to Ireland, one of my, one of my kind of bucket list things to take off um, was to try and learn a bit, a bit of our own language. So kind of got myself up to Glen Columkill a couple of times and some Irish lessons, and then obviously COVID happened, and that kind of died a bit of a death. But I'm signed up to start again this week at, at Aris McCracken, um on the Antrim Road. So don't, don't hold your breath for, for much fluency, but um, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get a bit more fluent. Um, guys, uh, thank you so much for the welcome to be here. It's really, really encouraging to, to come across and, and to be able to open God's word with you and to meet, meet you guys, meet God's people um, who are meeting here um, in the west of the city at Colin Glen Christian Fellowship. I'm going to take a few minutes um, to introduce myself and tell you guys a little bit of my story um, and then we'll turn back to, to the verses that Jerry kindly read um, for us um, in Luke 24. Um, so as, as John introduced me, I'm, my name's Aidan um, and I, I'm a member um, of North Belfast Christian Fellowship that meets on the Antrim Road um, and I'm kind of from the area. I kind of grew up um, when I was a bit younger, up to the age of 16, um, around the Whitewell Road um, and then at 16 my mum kind of thought we'd, we'd move down the road a bit and um, kind of w- grew up then in the Fort William area. So that was until I was 19 um, when I went off to university, went to Leicestershire to Loughborough to study. Um, and that kind of was me for, I guess, 11 or 12 years really. Um, had a year living in France, but most of the time was living in, in Loughborough. Um, in Leicestershire and uh, so for the football fans I don't know if anyone spotted my Leicester City football club sticker in the back of the car I'm not sure whether I should be peeling that off at the minute um, I was at a, a, a church event the other night and I walked in a few minutes late and they stopped the meeting and, and asked, offered you know, to turn this into a prayer meeting for Leicester City um, which um, was very very kind very kind um, but in terms of my story then and how I came to know the Lord Jesus as my saviour um, as I was saying, kind of grew up around the Whitewell Road area um, and grew up in a Catholic home. So it was myself and my mum just growing up. Um, my dad and mum were separated. My dad lives in RD um, in County Louth uh, and still lives there. But for me growing up, it was um, myself and my mother and a, really a very loving home um, that I was privileged to, to grow up in. Um, I think went to, when I went to university, I did some kind of psychology and a bit of social psychology and and find an article in a textbook one day saying about the type of families where there's maybe just a single mother and a son and saying there's, there's great love there. Often you find great love, but maybe a, a bit of a lack of discipline. So whenever I showed that to my mother, she was like, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely us, dear lover, um, putting up with me for, for all those years. Um, but kind of grew up in that setting and would have been a practicing family in that sense. Um, most, the majority of Sundays would have gone along to Mass um, and kind of serve, serve my time in the Cryon Chapel um, at the back of St. Gerard's or, or, or um, St. Bernard's in Glengormley. Um, and kind of always, so we're kind of practicing family and would have gone to Mass regularly. Um, and then through school, went to Park Lodge School in the Antrim Road um, and then ended up going to St. Malachy's um, for, for, for secondary school. 
And for me growing up, I think maybe apart from a wee period um, that a lot of the lads seemed to go through, um, that you know, about 11 or 12 or 13, where perhaps it was more a case of not wanting to get out of bed on a Sunday morning to go to Mass, you know, if quite a, it became the, the thing to become an atheist, you know, and, and it might have been about more not, not having to get out of bed. But I, I always did believe that, that God was there. Um, growing up, didn't really have a Bible, never really had a Bible in the house. Um, but around the age of kind of 14, um, I started to, to maybe ask more questions and um, I guess seek to, to explore faith a bit more. Um, I think a, a big thing, that, some things that, that God spoke to me through um, was kind of, again, having, having the, the privilege of, of growing up and um, living next door to a family where certainly um, the mum in the family had a, had a very vibrant faith and a, and a very living faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, now, kind of, as I suggested a few minutes ago, um, kind of having me as a next-door neighbour was probably a, a, a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, um, they had four children next door, um, and I was just kind of on my own. So, um, I, at times, especially during the holidays, um, I was almost like the fifth child in there. You know, I, um, I, was, I was part of the furniture. Um, and for most of the time, that was good. You know, got on well with our children and, and played nicely until... We didn't play nicely, and then um, I was often unceremoniously asked to, to leave and, and um, brought to the back door. Um, but such a kindness, there was so, so much kindness sh- shown to me um, in that home. Um, so much so that, as I say, they had four children, and um, Sharon and Bert, who the parents. Um, and at one time they bought a seven, seven-seater car so that there'd be space for the whole family and for me um, to go on trips to the park or, or go up to the zoo when they were heading to the zoo. And that, um, and so that that kindness really spoke to me. Um, Sharon was an is an English lady, and she ended up coming to live in Belfast because her father um, received a call. He was a, a pastor and received a call from um, Great Victoria Street Baptist Church um, to kind of come over to to um, the north of Ireland in the 1970s. Um, and I think a lot of their their friends and and um, family at the time were probably quite nervous for them and, and it was maybe a, quite a big test of their faith to, to be arriving in Northern Ireland in, in 1974 um, whenever um, you know, very few other people w- would have chosen to. Um, and Sharon met her husband and stayed on um, and, and made this her home. Um, but a very kind lady. And so whenever I got to the age of 14, um, I guess I was beginning to be challenged that there seemed to be people out there who spoke about about the Lord Jesus in a very personal and, and kind of warm way that I, that I didn't have. Um, I guess, as a, growing up as a Catholic, um, I, I was quite comfortable to speak about God, but when it came to Jesus and, and speaking about the Lord, it was a bit much, it was, became a bit uncomfortable, and yet I was intrigued um, that, that there seemed to be people like Sharon um, for whom her relationship with Jesus kind of made such a difference in her life. Um, often whenever I was, I was around playing, you know, if she was doing the dishes, she'd be singing a, a hymn or a, or a chorus or, or singing something that they would sing in church. Um, and that spoke to me. It was for me, um, yes, God was there and I was, I was warm to God. Um, but it was really a Sunday morning thing and, and I could easily spend the rest of the week without really giving, giving a thought to God. And so through meeting Sharon and then other people um, in life, probably in the world of sport, um, I, I was and still remain, whether you can call Leicester City a football club at the minute, but it was a, a big football fan um, and kind of came across some players in, in the Irish League who would have spoken about um, loving their football but having the most important thing to them was, was knowing Jesus as their, as their Lord and Saviour. And at the same time, although that, that kind of 
um, was a bit uncomfortable for me to think of. There was something else about it that made me think, you know what, I think there's people out there who have something that, that I don't have, um, that, that personal relationship. And so um, I decided at, at the age of 15 to start going on a, on a Sunday evening just to hear what another church had to say. So we'd go to Mass on Sunday morning um, and my experience of of growing up, going to Mass and, and of, of secondary school was, a, again, a very warm one. Um, I ended up doing A-level um, RE um, at St. Malachy's uh, and was taught by, by a priest, Father Spence, who, um, oddly, has just come to, to be the parish priest in Holy Family, just across from North Belfast Christian Fellowship, and a nicer man you couldn't hope to meet, you know, and um, would still, you know, be in touch a bit and um, kind of share... share um, I guess, support and um, encouragement in terms of um, issues of like the sanctity of life and, and upholding um, and the dignity and, and the sanctity and the protection of, of human life. Um, uh, and so my experience w- w- was good in that sense, but um, I wanted to hear what, what other p- people had to say and, and kind of explore a bit more. And so at the age of 15, I walked into a, a little gospel hall, um, which was near my granny's house, at her house one evening. I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll take a walk down here. And, and it said, visitors welcome in the window. So I thought, sure, in, in I'll go. Um, and that was, I guess, the start of that part of a, a journey for me um, that kind of took about, about nine months. I, w- I went to the, the gospel hall for nine months and found it very helpful that politics never came into it or, or national identity or anything. They, they were all about, about the word of God um, and all about just getting, getting the Bible open and, and speaking from God's word and, and seeing what, what it had to say. Um, and, and so I went along there and, and um, as weeks passed and I, I heard the word of God preached, um, I always knew I was a sinner and I would have gone to confession and yet in a sense my sin... That that was just I'm a sinner, but in my head it was still that you know if if I try and be a good person you know if I'm a decent guy um, and probably do more good than bad you know on the scale of things God will accept me God will God will let me into heaven was what how I would have thought um, and yes I'm a sinner and I go to confession and I admit that but you know sure we're all sinners and it doesn't really you know it's more about trying to do more good than bad. And of course, it's a good thing to, to, to seek to, to have good character, isn't it? And, but that was what I was probably trusting in and probably relying on, just that my, my good would, would outweigh my bad um, in God's eyes. And so as I went along and heard this gospel, this good news of grace um, being proclaimed um, each week, that um, that gospel message that actually my sin was, was probably far, far more of a problem um, than I ever realized or, or imagined that actually my sin um, and, and my disobedience was very, very serious in God's eyes and, and had separated me from God um, and meant that I, I wasn't fit to be in his presence, um, that even if I thought I was a, a good person, actually, in God's eyes, a God who loves me and cares for me, um, and yet I was a sinner and that I, w- I was guilty and I was condemned um, because of my sin. And it, for the first time, um, I guess after a few months, I began to realize that you know, I'm not right with God. You know, my, my good doesn't just outweigh my bad. It's, I, I'm not right. If, if I was to go to meet him this evening, um, that, that I know I'm a sinner, that, that I'm not okay, you know, I, I'm not going to heaven. Um, and so that, that troubled me, but it, it was very much balanced, and, and the, the, the whole gospel message and the good news was preached that actually God so loved me 
um, and, and so loved us that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to, to suffer and, and die on the cross for my sins, that I could be forgiven, um, and that I just needed to repent and place my trust and my faith in him, um, and that I would be more accepted than I ever imagined in Christ. And so that was difficult because, in a, in a sense, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, the, the word would be preached, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And I was thinking, well, I wouldn't have been going, wouldn't have been going to Mass all that time if, I, if I'd never believed, you know, and yet I knew I wasn't, I wasn't right and knew I didn't have that relationship that others seemed to have. And it kind of, I guess, came to a head one evening, um, and I'm someone that can remember, you know, for some folks it's maybe more of a process and, and they can't pinpoint a, a time and a date where they would say they came to, to become a Christian. Um, but for me, I, I do remember the, the 9th of December, 2001, and just after a, a meeting in, in the Gospel Hall, speaking to a chap um, who subsequently, him and his wife, really took me under their wing and, and discipled me and helped me to grow in my faith. But he took me to John 3.16 and just showed, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And just helped me to see myself in that, for God so loved Aidan, that he gave his only begotten son, that if Aidan believes in him, that Aidan should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's when I really, really grasped and realized that on the cross that Jesus was dying for me. Before it was something very, a bit abstract and, and kind of fluffy and, and not clear in my head. Um, but on that day I realized, goodness, so on that cross Christ was dying for me. He was doing that for me. Um, and that's when I came to, to trust him as, as my Lord and Savior. Um, and of course, uh, I'm not here to give my testimony this morning. And I could, you know, could carry on and, and speak of God's faithfulness to me um, down the years. Um, since then and all that he's brought me brought me through and brought me to um, but I can say that he has always been faithful even when I haven't been um, to me he's always been faithful to me um, and so in 2018 I um, decided to make the move, had the heart to make the move back from England and um, from living there and moved back to Belfast and just so that, that desire to kind of be in a, a church that um, was reaching out with that gospel of grace not, not performance, not trying to be good enough but that gospel of grace that can be freely received um, and reaching out into a community who maybe don't know many Christians, many Bible-believing Christians, and, and haven't maybe heard that message, or, or maybe for whom Christianity, biblical Christianity, is, is tied up with um, with politics, or or uh, or, or um, yeah, with with all that's gone on in this country. So that's a bit about me. Um, let's look. Uh, let's read one more time um, the the verses, and then we'll get into them um, today. Then he said to them, so we're in Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So if you want to keep those verses open, it probably will be useful to to have those if you've got them on your phone or your your Bible. Don't worry if not. um, 
I think they're uh, the word behind us, but don't worry if not. Um, but if you can, if you want to keep them open. So it's almost 10 p.m. on a Thursday evening. And like every Thursday evening, whether it comes rain or hail or shine, um, two men um, pound the streets, running through the puddles this, this evening um, of North Belfast, running, up this, running north up the city's Antrim Road. And they were keenly aware of two things. The first thing is this, that from the junction of the Antrim Road and Cave Hill Road, that it's almost exactly one mile to number nine Tivoli Gardens, their destination. No matter how hard it rains, how hot your lungs burn, or how much lactic acid is seeping through um, your, your quad muscles, if that fact doesn't change. It's one mile from the bottom of the Cave Hill Road to number nine Tivoli Gardens. But you see, this isn't our first rodeo. I'll give it away. I'm, I'm one of those guys. It's not our first rodeo because the second thing that we know is this, that whenever we begin to consistently run an average pace of under seven-minute miles on this route, which has seen us journey, um, literally sometimes the vomit-inducing Ballysillum Park, then down to Carlisle Circus and back up the Antrim Road, and if we're running that seven, sub-seven-minute mile pace consistently, that even as we approach the foothills of middle age, um, that we have the power to make an impact for our club in the forthcoming cross-country season. And so we swing a left up the Cave Hill Road, past the waterworks, and fueled by um, a big bowl of cereal, because you don't want to eat a heavy meal before running, but fueled by a big bowl of cereal, we run up past the waterworks and we press on. We're equipped for what we'll have to do. And in today's verses... I want to look at how the Lord Jesus, um, as he's about to leave this earth, how he equips his disciples, his followers, to be witnesses, to be his witnesses as he, as he leaves. And then we want to think about what does that mean then for us, for me and North Belfast Christian Fellowship, but for you guys at Colin Glen Christian Fellowship, what do these verses have to say for us as well? So step back 2,000 years to Judea. And in our verses, we find that the Lord Jesus is at the end of his earthly journey. In verse 47 and in verse 48, however, we see that for his disciples, there's a new journey, starting at Jerusalem and going forth to all the nations. A new journey for them is just beginning. And so just as me and, and, and funny Aidan, because his name's Aidan as well, just as me and Aidan required that knowledge that there is an end point, that it's true that it's one mile from the bottom of the Cave Road to his house, number nine, Tivoli Gardens. Just as we needed that nutrition, that big bowl of cereal for me to keep us going, and the motivation that I know that I've done this before, if I can be running this, doing this run in sub-seven-minute miles, I can, have, I can crack some Delph, even um, toward, heading towards middle age. I can crack a wee bit of Delph this year in the, in the Northern Ireland Cross Country League. So just as as we required that knowledge, nutrition, and motivation to run the race, the Lord Jesus knew that his witnesses, that his disciples, needed to be equipped for the task that that lay ahead of them. The Lord Jesus knew that ultimately 11 of his 12 apostles would give their lives for the gospel. They needed to be equipped. But what is it that Christ equipped them with? And what does that look like for you and for me, for us today? Let's look at three things from the verses. The first thing is found in verse 44 to 48, and it's this. It's a a conviction of the truth. A conviction of the truth. The Lord Jesus equips him with the truth. 
He said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So the Lord Jesus knew that they needed to be convicted of the truth. They needed to know that this message was true because it was going to cost them a lot. To be his disciples would be costly. And so he brought them back and he opened the scriptures with them and he explained that great story of redemption, how it was God's plan from the beginning to redeem, to buy back a people for himself um, after the consequences, the effects of of the fall and man's rebellion and rejection of God. um, That his, his plan of redemption meant that um, the Christ was always going to come and he was going um, to redeem uh, a people and bring a people, buy a people for himself. And they needed, to be, they needed to be aware of that. They needed to have that clear in their minds and believe the truth of that. Um, Mez McConnell um, is a, a man who works in Scotland for an organization called 20 Schemes. Um, which seems which seeks to to plant churches um, and to 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 um, build God's kingdom um, in council estates in Scotland. Um, and sometimes when you're listening to Mez or, or reading his work, he uh, he can easily become frustrated because um, well, let me quote him. He says this, and it's not to it's not to get at women, and it's not to get at people from a middle class background either. But he says this, there are a lot of middle class Christians in the UK, and especially maybe at times middle class Christian women in the UK, who have a lot to answer for, and they bear a great deal of responsibility for the lack of personnel coming to join the frontline ministry on council estates and housing schemes. He says millions are perishing without Jesus because they are more worried about their children's standard of education or whether or not their house may get burgled when millions are going to a lost eternity. When Jesus tells us to count the cost, I'm pretty sure that he doesn't mean stay at home, live a nice life, have some children, see them into university, get them married, get a few grandchildren, retire, and then die. You see, the Lord Jesus speaks to them and explains how it was, it was necessary for him to suffer and rise from the dead and that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, that they were to be witnesses of this. And that was something going forth and taking forth that message that would cost them a lot. And so they needed to be convinced of the truth of this story. And so what do our individual and collective lives, both, both as a people, both as a church and as individuals, what do they say about we, what we say we believe life is all about? So how do our lives look and what do our lives say about what we say we believe that life is all about? If we're to be his witnesses, if we're to be going forth to all nations, to all people groups, um, to people of, of different ethnicities and different backgrounds in different parts of our, our city and our land, what does that look like? 
Um, I was recently up um, Cave Hill for a walk um, with a friend from Dublin. Um, and as I got, we got to the top um, I kind of, and looked out across, across Belfast, um, uh, she asked me to explain, to tell, us, tell, me, tell her a little bit about different parts of the city and what they were like. And so I did, and I spoke to her about Stormont being over in East Belfast and, and um, Parliament buildings, and then spoke about South Belfast being known for Queen's University. Um, looked over to Divis and Black Mountain here in the west and, and down to, to Belfast Castle. And then she asked a little bit about... Um, about the churches. Um, she's someone who works, a believer, and she works for a church in Dublin. Um, and I kind of explained how in parts of Belfast, as we looked over, there are probably many churches and many Christians, um, Bible-believing Christians, who, who believe and trust in that gospel of grace. Um, and yet in other parts of our city, and maybe we're, we're witness to that, and we're, we can be aware of that, that there, there are very few. And she, she kind of asked, um, and, and kind of... Um, expressed how she finds that in, in Dublin, that often um, if there's conferences and things, things that maybe in Belfast would fill up very quickly, women's conferences or, or youth conferences, um, that in Dublin it's, it's a struggle to, to get numbers and that actually she maybe travels around or, or people from her church travel around to different parts of the south. And I, I'm aware of this in my dad's town in RD, that there's very little Christian witness going on. There maybe are very few um, Bible teaching churches. And she kind of expressed that, that, that it's strange or, or, or surely it would be beautiful to see some of these Christians, where there are many Christians, many Bible-believing Christians, moving out into different parts of the city in Belfast, into different parts of the country. And yet what is it that holds us back? I think we'll find something of what Mez McConnell's saying um, in this. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe about that this message um, is true and that it's, that it's worth going forth to be witnesses um, to all nations? Or are we too, are we too quick to, to um, seek comfort and to seek security um, and to, to seek an easier life? Steve Pavlina says, if you really believe something, you will act in accordance with that belief always. If you believe in gravity, you will never attempt to defy it. If you claim to hold a belief but act incongruently, then you don't actually believe it. You're only kidding yourself. And so that we need to recognize that the world's narrative of what life is all about wears on us more than we might realize. And that our sinful flesh often finds it much easier to believe at times, to believe that at times, than to believe God's truth. And so what are we doing then as individuals, and I speak to myself, and then as a local body of believers to remind ourselves of the truth of God's story and to continually bring our hearts and minds in line with it? Our flesh, especially in our day and age, will, will, will so often seek what's comfortable and what's secure. And maybe that's why that you'll find in parts of this country and this city there are many believers. And in other parts there's such little gospel witness. And maybe that reluctance to, to kind of for us to move out into different parts of the country to count the cost um, and to go to people, go to areas um, that aren't reached. Um, but we need to be convinced of that truth. And so what does that mean for you and for me? What might that mean in your life? I think one thing that I've been challenged with recently um, is, is to, to allow God's truth to, to be what I start my day with. 
And so if you came down to my car with me, I kind of prepared a wee box um, with my Bible in it uh, and with a prayer diary in it. I'm a terrible man for, for being out of the, you know, I don't, as you can see, I don't have too much to do with, with the hair um, in the morning. So to be, to be straight out of bed and into the car and off to work. And before you know it, you've been, you, you know, work as a, as a school teacher, you know, the kids come in and school's busy and a few hours pass and maybe half the day passes and maybe it's half past three when the children go home and you're only stopping and, and maybe giving God a thought. I think that's easy for me to do. And so I've got my wee box, um, and you can encourage me and, and maybe challenge me with it when you see me again. But I've got a, there's a wee lay-by, and my way to work in Bangor is a little lay-by just before you get to George Best Airport. And what would that look like for me to, to stop there, just to leave the house 20 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier, and stop there and just have a wee quiet time with God in the car, open his word, and not leave it till the end of the day, which is good to do. It's great to, if, you're, if you're like that to read God's word at the end of the day. But for me, I think I need to get starting again at the start of the day, remind myself of that truth, um, of, the, of the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's story. Um, stop the car and, and pray to him and, and pray for my family, pray for the day ahead that I would live in the truth of, of that story. And so the Lord Jesus sees that the first thing that his believers, his followers, need to be equipped with for the, um, to be his witnesses is, is this. It's a conviction of the truth. But that's not all. Look down with me at verse 49. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And I think the verses that you guys had up um, speaks of, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, which is probably a clearer way um, to, to think of this. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus was, was aware um, that this would be difficult, that this is a, a difficult challenge for his, um, for his disciples to be his witnesses. And in fact, um, uh, whenever we um, meet um, the disciples, whenever we see them, Luke describes them as being terrified and frightened. So being Jesus' witnesses would mean acting with great courage and speaking with conviction and with boldness. And whenever Jesus appears to them, we find them locked in a room for fear of the Jews. Luke tells us that they're terrified and frightened. And yet within a few days, the same gospel writer Luke records that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so as I and as you look with human eyes, I think we do look weak sometimes, but God doesn't worry. As you and I look with human eyes, we do look weak sometimes, but God doesn't worry. And it's easy for us to look around and, uh, and, and look and think, you know what, we're not big in number, and we're not strong, and we're not impressive. Whether that's at North Belfast Christian Fellowship sometimes, whether you, sometimes you think that at Colin Glen Christian Fellowship, and yet God doesn't worry. God doesn't worry about the believers in Jerusalem, because he gave them all that they needed to, to be his witnesses. Can I let that sink in and can you let that sink in that God, God's not worried about how we look, about whether we look strong in the eyes of the world and even in our own eyes. That he's placed me in North Belfast, he's placed you guys here to be his witnesses and he's given you what he gave the same um, disciples and they didn't look strong or powerful or impressive either. Look at them, we'll find them, we'll find them locked up in a room for fear of the Jews Luke says they're terrified and frightened. And if we look at it with human eyes, we will, we will be. We can be intimidated. 
and yet God gives them his Holy Spirit so that they may be his witnesses and he doesn't, he doesn't worry and he's given us that same spirit that was within the, in them and the same spirit um, that raised Jesus from the dead. <clears throat> we are called as Christ's witnesses. They, they, the disciples were called and we are called to be strong and courageous. And indeed, John names the cowardly as amongst those people who will not enter God's kingdom but will face his wrath. And this will be tough for us and at times this will be painful. We don't go out to, to pick fights. We don't go out to seek controversy. We don't go into the city centre, for example, to, to seek controversy and to, to shout at people or to preach as loud as we can about sensitive issues. But we are, we are sensitive to folks and we're loving, but we are faithful too. And we don't throw God under a bus whenever the, whenever the rubber hits the road, whenever there is that challenge to, to, to speak up um, about something. Um, that we believe that scripture teaches um, or to speak up for God and um, we're called to be faithful to him we don't throw him under a bus we're convinced through the goodness of God through knowing him and through his word of the beauty of his heart for all people and the, God's good intentions God's love for all people and um, to bring him, them home to know him and he's equipped us with that spirit to be strong and to be courageous and to be able to speak for him and to live lives that please him that witness um, to his goodness and, and to, to that gospel message. To encourage us, um, Kevin DeYoung um, says this. He said um, a, a few, couple of years ago at, uh, in Belfast, speaking of, of churches, he says, don't overestimate. Don't overestimate what you, can, what you can do in five years, but don't underestimate what you can do in 50 years as a church. So be faithful. You've got the Holy Spirit working through you. Just continue to be faithful, to love God, to love people, to love this area, um, and just to keep going. <clears throat> We're equipped with the power of his spirit. We've got all we need. And finally, um, if you look at verses 50 to 53, he equips us with the joy of the Lord. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And so he's equipped them with the conviction of the truth. He's equipped them with the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 49. And finally, he equips them with the joy of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, he returns to heaven to intercede for them, for his, for his people, for, for the believers, um, before God. And that brings them joy. The role of the priest um, at this time in the Old Testament, uh, um, and not to go into too much depth, but the role of the priest was meant to represent, the priest was meant to represent the people to God. And at the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, of his account of the life of Jesus, we meet a priest called Zacharias. And he was in a very privileged position because for the only time um, in his priestly career, he was invited to go into the temple and to offer incense to, to God, that something that a priest only did once in their career. And an angel appeared to him there to announce the birth, the coming of the birth of John the Baptist. And his response was unbelief. He didn't believe the angel. Uh, and he was made mute uh, um, until John's birth because he didn't believe. That in that moment, in his big moment, when God appeared and spoke, he didn't believe. He, he failed in that sense. 
And yet it ends, Luke ends his gospel with the Lord Jesus returning to heaven to represent his people to God. And he's one who's never failed and who speaks, who believes and, 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 and has always trusted God the Father and who speaks in our behalf. And that's how Luke ends his gospel. That Jesus has walked every step of the way with these disciples. He's died and he's risen again and now he goes to intercede for them. And that gives them reason to rejoice. That gives them reason to worship and to rejoice that they have a perfect high priest who's with them, who's speaking for them. They've got the Holy Spirit within them. They've got the knowledge of the truth, but they've got that perfect high priest. They've got Jesus in heaven interceding um, for them, speaking for them before God the Father. And so if we started off in verses 44 to 48 <clears throat> with what the mind needs to be convinced of, then we end with the heart and we end with the emotions. Because God made them both. He made us people with minds and he calls us to love him with all our minds. But he also made us with, a, with emotions and with feelings. Truth is important, as we've seen. But we're also called to see the beauty of God's truth. And we're also called to invite it to really sink into our hearts in a way that moves us to worship um, and feel the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says this, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so in in equipping us, in equipping these disciples and and in equipping us today, 2,000 years later, for his service, to be his witnesses, Jesus Christ wants us to know the joy that comes from understanding that right this second, right this moment, right in your darkest moments, right when things are tough, whatever you'll go through this week or this year, this month, this year, um, both as individuals or as a church, that right then that Jesus Christ is in heaven interceding for you, and praying for you before his Father. I wonder if you've ever met a Christian who has a truth without a hint of the joy. I wonder if you've ever met a Christian who knows the Bible inside out, who can quote verses and knows the scriptures, but doesn't have the joy. And maybe too many people in the north of Ireland have met Christians like that, and maybe that's why so many people are put off the Christian faith. We're called to have joy. Christ wants us to have joy and for people to be able to see the joy um, that Christ brings within us and see the reality of it. That joy that I saw Sharon have as she, as probably I, I was torturing her, kid, torturing her kids and, and, and kind of riding over her daughter with my BMX bike. And yet I saw a love and a joy in Christ that, that spilled over and that spilled over onto me. And, the, and in that way, not perfectly, because none of us are perfect, but she represented God well. I saw the joy in her. And that's what we're called to. You see, talking about temptation and the believer, Jackie Hill Perry says this, Yes, we know the truth of God's word, but there are times when what we know still doesn't quench how we feel. And therein lies the tension that all Christians face. And so it's important that we take time and, and there's a great way is what we've done already to sing God's praises together to let that truth go from here into here and truth's important isn't it I need to, I need to be in God's word but I need to let it seep down I need to meditate <clears throat> I, I, I think it's a, a good thing that I do I said you know what in the last few years I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible in a year and I've been doing that and it's been helpful and it's good but if I just go through it, if I just kind of go through it as a tick box exercise and don't let it seep into my heart, it has little, little impact. 
I don't feel it. It doesn't give me the joy and the peace that it should. And so for me, that looks like, that, that looks like meditation. And it looks like singing meditation on God's word, taking scriptures and, and praying them into my life, praying them into my heart, speaking them to myself throughout the day. That inner monologue, that, that there's no one speaks to me more than I speak to myself. And the same is true for each of us. Will I be speaking God's word and God's truths into my heart and letting them sink in? Will I be coming together with other believers and singing God's truth? I will stand and sing um, together. We're not just singing to the wall or to ourselves. We're not even just singing to God, but we're singing truth to each other. We know that whenever we go out the door, we're back into the world, and it's a world that, that has a different truth, that has a different narrative. Isn't that what Jackie Hill Perry um, is saying? Um, that, that the world, its narrative, its story, it, it grinds in us and it can grind us down and it can seep into us. May I be speaking to myself and, and singing to each other the truth about God. Now, I'm not saying that we always wait until we feel like obeying God um, or, or our feelings line up. It's good to obey even when we don't, we don't feel like it. It is good to obey. But we want our hearts to be in that place um, where we're enjoying the Lord and we want to obey him because we know him as our good father and a good father who loves us and whose way for us, whose plan for us, how he asks us to live is, is beautiful and is good for us. So let's be a people who are committed to that, to that worship um, and to having the joy of the Lord. And so there you go. Christ equips us. He equips us with the conviction of the truth. He equips us with the power of his Holy Spirit. And he equips us with the joy of the Lord to be his witnesses for me in my workplace in North Belfast, for you guys and your families in your workplaces in, in, and in West Belfast in this area where he has placed you um, by his sovereign, sovereign power and his plan. May you be encouraged. Um, and so as we turn the corner and the, the rain's pounding down <clears throat> the corner of the Cave Hill Road, we know that even if it feels tough, even if it feels tough, even if the rain's particularly cold or, or on, a, on a Belfast night as, as it gets into October, November, December, there's a few hailstones thrown in there as well. Then I know the truth that it's only one mile to go to Tivoli Gardens. One mile to go. And I know that it's worth it. That if I can, that I've got that motivation, that, if we, that I can do this and that um, it will be worth it, it'll get us into shape for the cross-country season and we're fueled um, by that food, by that bowl of cereal. And I've got my friend next to me, good Aidan next to me, who I see running the race as well, who's not getting waylaid, who's not going off down a side street, but he's running that race. He's got his eyes fixed on the prize, fixed on getting up that Cave Hill Road. Um, I press on with him. And so that's the, the Christian race that we live. We know that it's the truth, that it's worth it, um, that we're, we're part of God's redeemed people, and that he has a great future for us. And that even when it's tough right here, that he's with us, that we've got all we need to run that race for him. And that he's with us every step of the way. May God bless you, um, you guys, as you, as you run that race for him um, at Colin Glen um, and in your families and your workplaces. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you, Father, that your word speaks to us today. We thank you, Father, for the words of the Lord Jesus that we remember in, in Acts chapter 1. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Father, we thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for, for saving us. We thank you that that was a costly sacrifice, Father, because it cost the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was upon him that our sin was poured out. And it was upon him that um, your wrath was poured out, Father God. Um, and Father, we thank you for his sacrifice that redeems us, that has bought us um, a future, Lord, a glorious future with you. Father, we, we thank you for the privilege of being called to be your witnesses, Lord, just to tell others by our words and by our lives, Father God, what you have done for us, um, and to invite others, Lord, into that, that other people may come to be saved um, and called into your family, be part of your people. Father, I want to pray for the brothers and sisters here at Colin Glen Christian Fellowship. Thank you for every one of them, Father. Thank you for um, saving them and for blessing them and for placing them here. Help them, Lord, and help me to remember that you've equipped me and them with all that we need, Lord, to be your witnesses. That knowledge of the truth, Father, may we be in your word. May, may we be speaking your word to each other, Lord. May we be living out lives that show the truth of your word. Um, and that encourage each other, Lord, to do that, and that are a witness to, to our friends, our family, our community who don't yet know the Lord Jesus. May we be reminded, Lord, that we have got the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. He gives us the power. It's, it's often easy, Father, for us to, to be afraid and to look fearfully at, at our circumstances and at, at what's going on around us, Lord. And yet you don't worry, Father. You've given us your Spirit. You've given us all we need to live lives and to speak boldly, Lord, um, uh, the truth of the gospel and the truth of the story of redemption. Father, may you help us to do that um, boldly, but lovingly, Father, and graciously and kindly, Lord, and sensitively, Lord. And Father, we thank you that um, not only do you give us each other, Lord, but the Lord Jesus Christ has, has gone from this earth and he now intercedes for us. He is our mediator, Father, between us and you. And Lord, he intercedes for us. He's with us every step of the way. Um, praying for us, Lord, um, and helping us. And we thank you, Lord, for him. Thank you, Lord, that often we can feel alone uh, uh, and um, we can feel scared. And yet, Father, thank you for the truth that we are never alone um, and that the Lord Jesus is, is always with us, Lord, um, and, and never sleeps in that sense. He's always with us, Lord, never rests. He's always always with us. And so we thank you for him. Um, pray, Lord, that all that was said this morning, Lord, will have and said to your glory, may you take away anything that, that, that wasn't, Lord, of you. I pray that you bless these believers now um, as they, they go out into this week, Lord, to, to be your witnesses, Lord, in their families, um, in their workplaces, Lord, in their community. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.